We've entitled our study today with a question, Are You a Misfit? Karen and I are working with our fifth and sixth teenager currently. These issues I want to talk about today can be really intense during your teenage years. But they not only affect teenagers because... I think they affect all of us. If we feel like a misfit, that affects the way we see ourselves. It affects the way that we interact with others. It affects everything, really, that's important in our life. So I want to talk about some of these things today, and my goal is to help us fit in here, because that's important, and it's valuable, and it, it, it will help us. It will help all of us. I want to start here in Luke chapter 7, verse 33. Jesus says to these Pharisees, now remember, the Pharisees were, they, they were the in crowd. In a religious, from a religious perspective at the time, that that was where you wanted to be. That, that, that was the end crowd. And so this is what Jesus says to them here in, in Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. They said he's crazy. John was sent from God. The in crowd said he's crazy. He has a demon. The Son of Man has come. Jesus was speaking of Himself, obviously, here. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And I think the point Jesus is trying to make here is that the in crowd could not be satisfied. Didn't make any difference. Now it's important for people, it's it's important for me that I fit in somewhere. So we've got to decide, as a person, as people, where is it that we want to fit in? And if we're looking out there in the world, folks, and we think that's the place that we need to be, and that's the place we need to fit in, we're going to be sorely disappointed. Because we can't be the person God wants us to be and fit in out there. But we should be able to fit in here. And we're going to contrast some of those things as we go through our study. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, Peter says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people 
I don't care who you are today. If you're a Christian, you're special. You're special to God. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And I know there's a lot of different people here today with come from a lot of different places with a lot of different interests and a lot of different talents and all of the differences that exist. But we, as God's people, are His own special people. And we're supposed to proclaim His praises. And that's what brings us together. And regardless of what our differences are, we have that in common. And we need to remember that. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12, the apostle says, For as the body is one, and has many members... But all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. See what's brought us together? The Spirit has brought us together. We're one. We're all important. We all have value. We're all special. Now he... he I think he makes an important point here. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek. You know, and they the first Christian, the first century Christians had a lot of trouble with that issue, didn't they? The Jews particularly. They struggled with this. It was a big deal. But not in the church. They were called together. It don't matter. don't matter where you came from. It don't matter what your race is. It don't matter whether you're rich or poor. None of that matters. <clears throat> don't matter if you're a slave or if you're free. That's a pretty stark contrast, isn't it? Jesus called slaves and free men to be unified together in the church. And all have been made to drink into one Spirit. So, the first thing I want to kind of hone in on is the thing that keeps us from feeling like we fit in sometimes, is that we're in pursuit of the wrong thing. We're in pursuit of the praise of men, of people. And I mentioned the teenager thing, and, and, and again, I, I understand, I was a teenager once, I, yeah, it was a long time ago, but the need to fit in and to have value and to be praised is really intense. And I'm not sure we ever get over that. But my question for us today is, are we satisfied with the praise of God? 
Are we? Or do we need so intensely the praise of men that we get distracted and we're actually pursuing the wrong thing? In James 4, in verse 4, James says this, Adulterers and adulteresses. That's pretty strong, strong language. He's talking to Christian people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, I don't know that we use that word enmity all that much, but he clarifies it. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, when you take a teenager and you're putting them out there in the world and they've got to do it. They've got to learn how to function in the world, right? And you're asking them, please don't be a friend of the world. You're going to have to give them some pretty specific instructions on how to get that accomplished. And you've got to show them how to accomplish it. And you've got to teach them why it's important. And it's school time already. And these kids are going back to school. And we've got kids that will be going to college for the first time. Those are very important times. Pay attention, folks. You can't be a friend of the world... And be a friend of God. You're, you will be His enemy. John 12, verse 42, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him. They believed in Jesus. The rulers, the Pharisees, the people in charge, they had faith. But they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of this synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So young people, when you go to school, you've got to decide, am I going to praise God? And am I going to seek God's praise, or am I going to seek the praise of the world? And it's not just young people. I, I know I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it, because young people are not the only ones that are subject to peer pressure. We all are. And we all have to daily make that decision. Are we going to seek the praise of men? Or are we going to seek the praise of God? Jesus says here in Luke 6, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers, listen, so did their fathers to the false prophets. Luke 16, 15, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. See what their concern was? 
They were concerned about what men thought and about what men were going to say. That's where their concern was. That's what they worried about. But God knows your hearts, He says. For what is highly esteemed among men, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I just think that's exceedingly important for us to remember. When we're concerned about what people think and about what people say is important and what people think has value, I I hope we'll remember what Jesus says. What is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that, that not many wise according to the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about what Jesus just said. Because men esteem highly fleshly wisdom, worldly wisdom, things that make sense to us in the world. Men highly esteem that. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out here that there's not very many that fit into that group that respond to the gospel. Not many mighty. Strong. Something that the world values very highly. The Apostle Paul says there's not very many of those people like that that are going to respond to the gospel. Why? They're depending on their strength. They don't need God. Not many noble are called. Nobility. Those in authority. Why? They're seeking the praise of men. Then he goes on to say, but God, in contrast to those things, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. I... I got hung up on that. What in the world is he talking about? The things which are not bring to nothing the things that are. The things that are not important in the world bring to nothing the things that are important. And it's the same thing Jesus said. 
Things that the world highly esteems are abomination to God. God has chosen a man hanging on a cross to save us. Now, does that make sense to the world? The things which are not highly esteemed bring to nothing things that are highly esteemed. Why? He says, so that no flesh will glory in His presence. Galatians 1 and 10 says, For now do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It's a simple choice, but it's hard to make. Galatians 2 and 6, he goes on to say, But from those who seem to be something... He's talking about those that are highly esteemed. From those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes me no difference. (laughs) I love that. He didn't care what they thought. And they were giving him a bunch of grief, apparently, but he didn't care. For God shows personal favoritism to no man. Remember, neither Jew nor Greek. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. The in crowd, if you will, didn't do anything for Paul, he says. They seem to be important. They seem to be something. But they didn't do anything to help me. Another problem that we face. Life is full. And I don't want to be negative, folks. I'm just telling you the truth. Life is full of rejection and failure. Out there in the world, we got to live in it, and it's full of rejection and failure. And that affects our ability to see ourselves accurately and to fit in. The prophet said of Jesus in Isaiah 53 and verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Remember what Jesus said? What's highly esteemed? That man hanging on that cross is not highly esteemed in the world. He was rejected. Right? John 1, the Bible says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. So let's think about Jesus for a moment. 
He started off in a manger, right? He lived his life. He became a grown man. When he started his ministry, he began to perform miracles. And he got quite popular, didn't he? Remember what he said after he fed the 5,000? And they followed him over to the next place. And he said, You came just because I filled your belly, is essentially what he said. And he began to heal the sick. And he drew huge crowds. They wanted what he had to offer, right? Even as his last time, the last time that he went into Jerusalem, he was quite popular. And then those same people, a few days later, were shouting, crucify him. He came to his own, his own people, his own nation. And they hung him on the cross and killed him. Life is full of rejection and failure. This one's hard. How many of you have had your father and mother forsake you? He says, then the Lord will take care of me. Even when your mother and father don't forsake you, the Lord's taking care of you. Yes, life is full of rejection and failure, but the Lord takes care of us. Psalms 38 and 11, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. Family betrays us. Proverbs 19, Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. Wonder, wonder if this guy felt like a misfit. So is what Jesus says in Matthew 10. He's sending His apostles out. He gave them a job to do. We call it the limited commission because He was sending them to the Jews. 
And he was giving them instructions on what to say and, and when to say it, how to say it, and how to deal with rejection. Because he knew they were going to get some rejection. So when you go into a household, Jesus says, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Do we get that? So they were taking the message that Jesus had given them to people. And he says, when you have an opportunity and you go in and you give this family the message and they're worthy, let your peace come upon it. What does that mean, they're worthy? Well, that means they had a positive response to the message. But if you get rejected, he says, take your peace back, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. <laughs> He's saying, don't let it bother you. You were rejected, but don't let it bother you. You know why that's important? Because you eventually get so discouraged you quit giving the message. So he said, shake the dust off of your feet and move on down the road. And that's the way we have to deal with rejection and failure in life. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And, and the point of that is that when we're rejected and mistreated and whatever bad thing happens to us in life, God's going to fix all of that. We can't fix it anyway. So we shouldn't let those things that happen to us in life have a negative effect on the way that we see ourselves. Keep your head up and keep going forward. And God's going to fix all the injustice. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, For we do not want to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul had lots of difficulty. It's well documented. The point I want to get here, we should trust 
not in ourselves, but in God. Second Timothy 4, Paul says, more rejection, at my first offense, no one stood with me. Remember what we read over there in Psalms about being abandoned? He was abandoned. All forsook me, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Hebrews 12, 11 and 12. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. These negative things that happen to us in our life humble us. It doesn't mean that it's pleasant, but painful, he says. Nevertheless, afterward it yields... There's good results that come from this stuff when we handle it the right way. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do we learn anything? Bad things happen to us. Sometimes it's because we reap what we sow, right? Have we learned anything? It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Bear ye one another's burdens. Okay, so I want to go through these and make, make these applications for us. I'm going to start here in Luke chapter 4. Sometimes, when we have this thing going on where you look at what you perceive to be the in crowd, the popular people, the ones that have all the friends and that have it all together and everything's good, you look at that and you feel like you're not a part of that. Do you know what you forgot? Do you know what you forgot? You forgot that we're all broke. We're all broke. And without Jesus, we're nothing. With Jesus, we're all special. But we're all broke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember we wed early, earlier were not many mighty and noble and all those things received. He says that He came to preach the gospel to the poor. I don't think He's talking about the poor money-wise. He's talking about the humble. 
the poor in spirit, the people willing to receive the message. He came to preach that gospel to all of us. And that's what makes us something. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And that's all of us. We're all poor and brokenhearted and captive and blind. Every single one of us. But He came to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So don't forget, when you're feeling like a misfit, We're all misfits. But we're misfits together. Matthew 7 and 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you got teenagers, you need to remember that verse. I'm just telling you. the golden rule. But if you feel like a misfit, if you don't feel like you fit in here, I'm not talking about in the world, I'm talking about here. If you feel like you're a misfit here, that's the only solution I have for you. You've got to treat everybody the way you expect and want to be treated. What we do when we're feeling left out and like a misfit is we're looking at another group and expecting them to do something when they don't even know what it is we want. So you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated, and then we all know how you want to be treated. Matthew eighteen twenty four. If you want to have friends, guess what? It's the application of Matthew seven twelve. In Luke 14. Then he also said to him who had invited him, Jesus was at a dinner, a meal, a feast. And so he takes the opportunity to teach us something. When you give a dinner or a supper, he says, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. 
I'm going to take you back one more time. Remember what's highly esteemed among men? I mean, that's the logical thing to do, right? But Jesus points out here, when that's what you do, you're just in it for what you can get repaid. But, he says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. But you'll get repaid at the resurrection. So some things I want to point out about this. There's two groups here. One group, I'm going to call this the in crowd, okay? Because they're able to give a feast. They have the resources and the opportunity and whatever it takes to put on a feast. Well, then we have another group over here that's not capable of that. And I want to talk to both groups a minute. If you are in the group that's able to put on a feast, God bless you. Please do that. If you're in the group that's not able to put on a feast, please go. Please go. And I know how it works. I, I know, uh, I don't know how many of you think, but you, you think, some of you, that I'm in the in crowd and everything's easy for me. I know how it is. I don't want to go because I don't feel comfortable with those people. That's what we tell ourselves. So you don't go. And you'll never be comfortable with those people. It'll never happen. Now, there's things that the in crowd can do to make it easier. I, I get that. And I hope we'll all do those things. But I'm going to take you back to Matthew 7 and 12. We're all responsible for treating people the way that we want to be treated. And it's pretty easy when you feel like you're being left out and mistreated to just stand back and expect everybody else to do what it is you want them to do. And that is not fair. That's not fair. So say yes when you're invited. Say yes and go. And give people a chance to do Matthew 7, 12. 
And let's all do Matthew 7, 12. And let's all do Proverbs 18 and 24. And here's the bottom line. You, you can't say, I'm a misfit, and act like a misfit, and refuse to be included and get involved and then say it's their fault. John, third John, sorry, third John, verses 13 and 14, some more really good ideas, I think. John says, I had many things to write. And, and we're thankful, right? We are exceedingly thankful for the things that John wrote down here. But I want you to notice what he says. But I do not wish to write you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly. Y'all know where I'm going, don't you? Put your phone down. I get it. I use mine all the time. I think there's a place for the texting and the email. I, I, but notice what he says. I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. There's value in talking to people face to face. We can communicate context and sarcasm, and all of the things, and, and, and I can't shake my hands at you with the phone. Speak face to face. And it goes back to that whole deal, of, I'm just not comfortable. Well, you're not going to ever be comfortable with somebody You can talk to them. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And I'm just going to tell you, I, I wish I could call everybody by their name. But it's leaving. My ability to remember people's names, it seems to be the first thing that's going. And the only thing worse than not calling somebody by their name is calling them by the wrong name, right? So I just tend to not call anybody by name. My point is, I think he identifies that there's value in calling people by their name. James 2, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, I was pretty hard on the group I, that feels like a misfit. Now I'm going to be hard on the in crowd. Because this is what 
happens. When somebody comes in and they look like us and they act like us and they sound like us, it's much easier. And I, and I, I think Paul Henderson's already used this in a sermon, but I'm going to use it again because it's too good to not remember. But he and I were at a study with a young lady one time, and I don't even remember. I remember she had some very vivid tattoos. I don't remember exactly what they were or where they were at. But one of the first things she said to us was, Don't judge me by my tattoos. And she was quite upset and quite vocal because she felt like people were judging her for her tattoos. And we're thinking, why do you have them? If I, we're, it's confusing. But that's the way we do. We behave in such a way as to alienate ourselves. And then we wonder why we're alienated. And this is not about tattoos. This is about looking and acting like we fit in and the way the rest of us react to that. And I'm not going to suggest that I reacted to her the way that I should have, but I don't think I judged her by her tattoos. But I could be wrong. Because we're all susceptible to what James is talking about here. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come in your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We've got to have the right response for people to feel like they fit in. And whether it's fair or not, Most of us are perceived as being part of the in crowd. That, that's another fallacy. I, I've not talked to anybody yet that thought they were. But that's not my point. My point is, is when you're perceived that way, the way you react to somebody matters. And I think that's what James is talking about here. The way we react to people matters. And it affects their ability to feel like what they fit in. Romans 12 and verse 4. For as many as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he identifies a bunch of different things that need to happen in the body of Christ. And you have some or all of those things today. Every single one of you. And when you feel like a misfit, you tend to just sit on your hands and not do those things. And it hurts the whole body. It hurts the whole body because we're one. Don't feel like a misfit. You're not. You're part of God's special people. I'm going to conclude with this in Ephesians 2. It's a point we made earlier, but I want to make it again as we offer the invitation. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Don't be a stranger. If you're not a part of God's family today, you're a stranger to Him. And that's the point here. And that's not a good place to be. And we want you to be a part of us, the household of God. If you're not, and we can help you do that today, please let us. If you need the prayers of the church for some spiritual need today, we would ask one or more of either group to come as we stand and sing the song of invitation.